Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Upstate Coffee Collective podcast, where we talk to interesting people about interesting things, including but not limited to coffee. Today is a really special episode because Kevin and I are two white dudes, right? Like, you know it, we know it, and the situation that's happening in the United States right now does not call for two white voices. And when we got the opportunity to have a conversation with a woman of color who also has perspective on the election, who actually has the propensity for change in our area, we jumped at it as fast as we could and we fast-tracked it to the top of our podcast queue because this is a kind of conversation that we should be having right now. Kevin introduces her very well once we actually get into the conversation, so I'll kind of leave that to him, but I will give you the kind of quick breakdown. We are talking to Teresa McCalman. She is running for state senate um, in New York's 49th district. That's up by us in the capital region. She's a wonderful beautiful human being with an amazing perspective, a work ethic like I've never seen, and she loves Mark Anthony. So Mark Anthony, if you're out there, if you're listening to this podcast, Teresa McCalman, she's the one for you. Her husband even agrees. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting. And if you are interested in picking up some coffee after you have donated to all of the nonprofits that support black indigenous people of color uh, and LGBTQ consider picking up uh, highlight rose number two. We went live a few days ago and they're selling out fast. Just go to upstatecoffeecollective.com and you'll be able to find it right away. It's a delicious Peruvian coffee. There's a whole story behind it and we love the roaster Luke rock. Um, thanks again and enjoy the conversation. Welcome back to the Upstate Coffee Collective podcast. I'm Kevin Miner. With me, as always, is Matthew Pfeiffer. Hello. The man behind the boards. The man who asks some of the questions. I ask some of the questions. We have today Teresa McCalman running for the 49th State Senate District. How are you doing, Teresa? I'm great. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Um... We're going to start out with what's in your mug. So actually, the mug itself says teacher fuel on it because okay. I'm an educator. I was I had gone to Staples to get some binding clips because I also do DIY projects in my spare time that I actually steal because I have no spare time. Um, <laughs> so I was going to get binder clips to make curtain rings because I was making curtains at like one o'clock in the morning and I needed curtain rings. And they had this little display of uh, teacher appreciation in the um, staples. And I said, well, I'm a teacher and I don't think anyone's going to buy this for me right now because we're all pretty much social distancing and <laughs> it is what it is. And every day anyway, I would have tea and I would have a mug or I would have my Dunkin Donuts. And um, when I taught eighth grade, and, and mind you, my eighth graders were used to me. They understand my sense of humor. And they were um, 
gracious enough to go along with the fact that I would put a sign on my mug that said student tears. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Mind you, I wasn't a mean teacher. I was like, my uh, my greatest loved me. Like even to this day, they, they yeah. see me and they go, oh my gosh, you're my best social studies teacher ever. So, um, but this one said teacher feel and I was like, oh great, I'm gonna get it for myself. So, um, and every morning I have tea, every afternoon I also have tea. And my favorite tea is chai. So I just purchased some decaf chai tea because um, I, I just can't do caffeine and oat milk, yeah. vanilla oat milk with a little bit of cinnamon sprinkled in there as well. Matt, uh, real quick, what's in our rug? Uh, so mug. we're drinking um, we're drinking a coffee from Burundi roasted by Knockabout Coffee Roasters in Boston Spa slash Galway. I don't know which he associates with, but roaster and Galway. Nomad in Boston Spa. That's right. <laughs> um, all right, Teresa. So leading up to this, I was super excited that we were going to be able to talk to you. And I'm really glad that you announced early on that you were a social studies teacher. Because I decided, since we were going to talk to you, I was going to ask a bunch of people, what do they think a state senator does? And... Mind you, these are all full-fledged adults, degrees, you know, solid paychecks, living their life, loving it. And I don't think I got a full-fledged answer from anyone. I think the closest was Matt's wife. Yeah, he came and in. She's my, also a teacher. She, yeah, my wife is also a teacher. Now she teaches kindergarten, so uh, she's not, you know, she's at, she's not asking the big questions at work, but. The uh, <laughs> the she, Kevin walks in my front door and my dog comes and greets him and he walks up to my wife and he says, Kenzie, no wrong answers. What does a state senator do? <laughs> she just froze. She's like, uh. <laughs> but she got pretty close, right? I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. She was pretty close. I made sure because I wanted to look up what a state senator does and have that prepared. But I think it would be better to have you explain that to anyone who's listening, what does a state senator do? So uh, I, I guess she kind of sort of got it right. So um, the, sen the senators pretty much work on state legislation. So uh, that's their primary purpose is to write and approve uh, laws, period. Okay. That's it. So um, say right now we're where um, the world is up in protest because of the abuse, the abusive practices of our police, right? And this mm -hmm. is not, unfortunately, it is not unique to the United States, but most people of color all over the world uh, are treated the same way by their police bodies, wherever they are. So there's a lot of people up in arms over what's going on in the United States because it is also happening in their community. And because of that, people are are, are um, screaming for reform. And we have been for hundreds of years. We have been mm -hmm. screaming for police reform. In order for that to happen, it is not the job of the president. It is not the job of the Congress or the Senate federal level. It is usually local municipalities that would handle that or state legislatures. And that is exactly what you've seen done. Like the, the big um, 
the big change in 50A, it was repealed, and that law pretty much protected the records of police officers. So if mm-hmm. they were con- um, consistently being reprimanded or written up because of you know their behavior or abusive practices, they uh, the the um, public could not foil their record and find out what it was. It would be mostly redacted. You could not get that information on the the history of a police officer. And why? Why is that important? Because it is important for us to know who is policing our community, what their records are. And if they have a record of abusing people, no matter what color their skin are, but if they have an anger issue or they have problems with just following their own um, leadership, how do you expect them to actually police safely their communities, right? So what did we do? We demanded that that be repealed so that the the public has a greater hand in who they they allow to police them. And I think that should have been from the get-go. And I said that last year when I ran for mayor. I said the not only does the, the local police need to be officially trained, they also need to have need to go through culturally responsive training. What does that do? It helps weed out those biases that that they have naturally coming from a different community, you know, I'm talking about Mm -hmm. white police, um, coming into a predominantly black and brown community and being able to police to that, you can't because you don't know it. So you can't. In order for you to know it, you need to learn it. And in order to learn it, you need to learn about yourself first. So culturally responsive training would do that. It would draw out how you see the world that's different from you so you can address it, deal with it, and learn how to police without putting your biases in that. And now what they're saying is that their records will be open and also we're going to force implicit bias training, which I don't think is enough. But anyway, long story short, <laughs> yes. Agreed. That's how you get things changed. So don't uh, yeah. I'm a teacher. You know, I got to go through the history. I got to go through all the, the details and make oh, the yeah. connections and make relevant that was that was a fantastic answer um one one question that popped up as you were as you were talking about 50a is in your words how do you think 50a was what or or rather what were the intentions originally behind passing 50a and putting it into law why do you think it was there in the first place and how because my the the process of putting that law into place you know should be representative of the the state legislate right and the community so what do you think in your words what what were the the reasons for that being there in the first place so it's funny you asked that question because i asked myself that uh a few days ago and i said i put it on my things my list of things to research the history of that because in in my mind i i try to put myself on on all sides try to see all the perspectives i have to as a teacher because everyone, all my students come with different perspectives and I need to be able to understand that and teach to it. So I I was trying to see why that would have been put in place. And the only thing I can think of is because as a police body, um, they needed to make sure that whatever disciplinary actions needs to happen to their officers happened internally and there were no outside influences because it's a fraternity. It is, as most people have gone so far as to say, it's a gang. And when you are part of this collective, um, and this is just me like just trying to figure out, not not really understanding it, but just trying to logic it out. When you're part of a collective like that, you want to protect that body. 
and and in order to protect that body, you cannot have outside eyes who do don't understand the brotherhood, don't understand the connections, don't understand the training, and you're like the public doesn't get it, so they're not allowed to see this. But the thing is, it doesn't give two shits if we understand it or get it or not. The fact is, is that you as a police body are policing and protecting our bodies. And you damn mm -hmm. right, we need to know what the hell is going on with your officers. Because if not, oh, yeah. then they need 100%. to be gone. Well, that's, uh, that's an issue that comes up in the coffee world is just transparency. We want to yeah. know what's going on because we want to make sure that people aren't being abused in these countries that are growing the thing that we enjoy on a daily basis. Yeah. You know? We don't want to feel like we're contributing to that with a level of ignorance. So transparency is such a huge thing. And that makes sense that that would be huge for a police body and their community. Yeah. High, high level, high level explanation of that is that like, uh, exporters and importers are basically price gouging um, coffees and lying to farmers at origin and saying like this coffee is worth, you know, two dollars a pound, let's say yeah. when they're going to turn around and sell it as a specialty coffee, a craft coffee that is high, high quality and, you know, and, and scores really well on tastings and it's going to sell for quadruple, quintuple that price. And then farmers basically can't make a living on their coffee. So, yeah, I think transparency across the board is great. And, you know, starting with the people that represent us is, uh, I think, one of the foundations of making our country and our world better. Yeah. And I'm one of those people. <laughs> it yeah. seems so. And, and, absolutely. You know, Kevin met me. I'm I'm as real as it gets. Um, I don't like yeah. to BS. Um I, I call it how it is. Sometimes my kids have to check me and you see mommy, mommy, you know, she goes, yeah. and I go, yep. but it's the truth, you know, and sometimes um, people can't handle the truth. But right now I don't care because the truth is the truth and you need to hear it right now. There's no more hiding behind it. And there's no more being careful. There's no more trying to, to ease you into it. No more. The world is burning. We're is burning, burning because of divisiveness, because Literally, of racism, literally and figurative right right and 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 holding back holding your tongue and trying to find the nicest words to say that shit ain't getting it no more no. so it, it's well, time it's, to be real it's it's time to take it's time to take back our our communities our lives our district our state our freaking country and it's time to be real it's time to change that's me oh Big time. Well said. I love that. That's definitely who she is. And I was uh, lucky enough to be with you and your three daughters at the Troy rally, which was amazing. Um, and I definitely picked up on that presence that you have. Like you, there are some people who just present themselves as the title that you can see. Like if someone says, oh, yeah, she's running for state senate. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. You know, um, but I wanted to kind of specifically ask you and dig into um, what has it been like to be the mother of three daughters, a community leader, a teacher, a senatorial candidate in 2020? So I also have a son. 
<laughs> so I'm a mother of oh, four. Um, and you know, my grandchild as well. That's my baby. I call him my new son. Um, and Aww. what is it like to be a mother and a candidate and an educator um, running in 2020? So 2020 aside, uh, I usually do about five or six different things at once anyway. I'm always involved. I'm always in the community. I'm always trying to figure out what more I can do, how much more helpful I can be. I usually just kind of push myself in there and say, I'm here and I'm going to do this. And people go, oh, okay, who's this? It doesn't matter. I want to help. So just, you know, let me do a thing. <laughs> that's, that's usually, and you can listen, you can confirm this with my kids. If I see a need and I can I can help and I can fulfill that need, then I'm in there. I don't wait to ask for permission. I don't wait for someone to pick me. I don't put my hand up and wait. I go, okay, I'm going to help. I just jump in. The, wait for what? You know, if I don't right. do it, then no one else is going to do it. And someone else is probably waiting for someone else to do it anyway. So I don't like to hesitate. I just get in there and I do. And because of that, I usually have 50 million things going on at once. And then the kids, I drag them right along with me. Mm -hmm. They tell me that um, they, they get voluntold. So, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm okay with that. So, <laughs> yes, they're voluntold, and and they're they'll tell you they they've been um, helping me with my advocacy in our Native American community and the local Native American community um, since they were like babies, um, helping us get all the elders together and bring the outside community together to dispel myths in the Native American community, holding pot. Um, um, I guess what you guys call powwows, we call them gatherings, holding those things on the campus in Russell Sage College, you know, and, and just letting everyone know nationally what's been going on. And my kids will help me with that. Working with youth, creating um, them to, raising them to be young abolitionists, to dispel the myths also in black history, urban black history here in um, upstate. So during the time of um, the Civil War, what were black people doing in cities? In the north, were they enslaved or weren't they? So my kids and their friends, and they got their friends to join in at the ages of four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Um, they came together with their friends and they joined the young abolitionists and they would do reenactments and show them that they weren't all runaways. Some people were wealthy and came from non-slave parents and, and owned things. And they, they became little historians and little activists in their own community, reclaiming their local history and sharing that with the community. Um, so I was always doing something, um, marching for rights for homeless women and children because I was a homeless woman and children a child, um, with a child, a few times, a few times I was homeless. Mm -hmm. um, and those were the hardest times in my life. And I did not, I, I did not want to see anyone else go through that, especially the struggles to come out of that, especially help, um, depending on the system to come out of that, that was hard. So um, yeah. I'm always doing always in. And when you ask me, what is it like? I have absolutely no idea because this is normal for me. This is normal. <laughs> I was reading your text message to me and you was like, we want to know what it's like to be like run for Senate. And I kind of turned to my husband. And I said, what is that like? <laughs> like, <I'm> like, <laughs> <laughs> like, this is normal for me. I was like, I, I want to do a thing. I do my research. I try to figure out how to do the, do a thing. I educate myself. I may pick up a couple of more degrees so I can make sure that I know a thing. Hell yeah. And then I go do it. So, I mean, 
this is just me. I mean, I think you would have to ask That's someone right. looking from the outside what it looks like and what yeah. it's like because I have absolutely no idea how to tell you that because <laughs> this is just normal. <laughs> well, I, I think even from a, from an objective standpoint, a lot of people don't know what are you know what the prerequisites are for certain seats. Um, I, th- I guess even you know like I, I consider myself, you know, fairly politically active. I consider myself fairly politically uh, uh, educated, but I I didn't realize that you could like anybody can run for Senate, right? I think you can just decide I'm going to run for Senate. So um, and I think it's 18 probably for local office, and mm-hmm. that may include um, the Senate. So I mean, I even told my son. I said, you need to run for office because um, when he was helping oh, wow. with my mayoral campaign, like, like he just, he's just, uh, he's a mini me. Like he's just, mm-hmm. I think even better, <laughs> way better. And his curls are way better too. Oh, <laughs> oh, are they? You guys have some curls. He's got gorgeous curls. <laughs> um, so now he's going to run for local office, hopefully. I'm going to voluntold him. Ah, there You're it is. You're going to voluntold him. I've, I'm, I'm like, so I, I wrote like some questions down as like, a, you know, as a little bit of homework. But as we're talking, they're just popping up like totally naturally. Um, I wanted to ask, are you, have you always been um, politically active or politically motivated? Or was there something in your life that you were like, screw this, I have to get involved more? So, so uh, initially, I would say no, right? Because I never did a thing thinking of politics, if that makes sense. Right. Um, but if you think lingu- linguistically about politics, it is about the people. Mm-hmm. So then I would have to say yes, because I have always been about the people. I've always been about my people. I've always been about my community. I've always been about helping, um, nurturing, supporting, you know, growing. So linguistically, yes, I have. Um, even before I knew that's what I was doing because my mother would volunteer us to do things um, before that was even a thing. We would do the March of Dimes walk all the time every year and i thought everyone did this because it was always thousands of people there in new york city right and we would get this form and we would have to go knock on doors our neighbor's doors and say can you give us a dollar or two dollars or 50 cents you know and we'll walk this many miles you know for whatever and we would raise all this money and that was even before i realized like how important money was <laughs> like i get 50 <laughs> cents i'm going to the corner store i'm going to the bodega oh, yeah. and i'm getting me some chips and a, and a quarter water or something <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so uh we would raise all this money and then we would go out in the middle of manhattan somewhere and we would get ready to walk and we would walk every single year this is what we did and i was always excited i was like yes we're gonna do this i can't wait for the march of dimes we do it all the time little me not knowing what it was for not knowing what it's for Mm -hmm. and then um this man ran for mayor in new york city um i was in the lower digits i won't tell you how old i was but i was in the lower digits almost (laughs) reaching the double digits when he ran um of my age and um I remember seeing him. He came to one of our family reunions. 
he's not related, but he came to my, one of our family reunions and walked right up to my uncle's and shook my uncle's hand like he knew him. And 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 I'm looking at, and I love my great uncles. Like they were my life. Like they were the most beautiful men in the world. I loved them so much. And I always missed them when I didn't see them. So it was like amazing to see this man who was running to be mayor of the world. Cause to me, New York city was the entire world. And absolutely. He knew he knew my uncle and this man went on to be the first black mayor i think the only black mayor of new york city david dinkins oh, wow. so when i saw that i asked my uncle who is he and why are all these people all over him there was like news all over and why and then my uncle said why don't you take a picture with him and I was like, can I? And he was he was like, yeah. So we took a picture. And then my uncle said, that man is going to be the mayor. And I was like, well, what does he do? And my uncle said, well, he makes sure that you're happy and that I'm happy and your mom, your sisters are happy and that we have everything that we need to live happy and peacefully in, in the city. And I said, he's going to be that? And I, and I equated that as president of the world. So I said, he's going to be mayor of the world. Yes. And he looked just... <laughs> And he looked just like my uncles. So I saw me and him and I was like, wow, I, when I grow up, I want to be just like him. Not realizing that was my first lean towards the, the word politics. So that was my mm. first actual like experience with politics and really trying to the gauge and understand in my young mind what that meant to be able to make people happy, to make people smile, to make sure that they're they're at peace and, and they're happy with their surroundings and their family. Like, I was just like, wow, that's amazing. I want to do that. And I didn't even realize, I didn't remember that memory until someone asked me for the hundredth time when I was running for mayor, why did you get into politics? What was your first politics? And I, I had to think back, I had to keep going back and keep going back. And I went back to that. And I was like, that was it, That that was it. But from an activist standpoint, you've been doing it since you were single digits, right? With the March of Dimes. And then so your family brought you up in an activist mindset. And here you are now. And I didn't even know it. I didn't yeah. know it. I wouldn't even say activist. I would say like I, you had just like a socially conscious mindset, you know, like they were bringing you up in a mindset that was conscious of other people and how to help them, you know, not even so much just like campaigning in the activist sense that we know it now but just being aware and charitable i i guess so um but when i think of my family though you like 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 every day i i would yeah. i would say no <laughs> okay i know my family but oh, yeah. i think because um of them being aware of certain people who would affect their lives I took that in and said, oh, okay, maybe I should pay attention to things like that. Because as a child, you do as you see, right? So that was a little seed planted in my mind, even if they didn't say, this is what you should be doing, this is what you have to do. It's just the little instances of, of being exposed to that, I think just planted the seed. And as I got older, you know, that started to grow and then I started to become aware and conscious of it. And then here I am today. Well, I love your story. I'm already so inspired and uh, in, impressed with you. I, I really, you know, I'm really excited for the your future. Um, 
yeah, I just that would there's no question after that. I just wanted to say. <laughs> I think one thing that I definitely wanted to dig into was um Teresa, you've been very present the past couple of weeks and it it seems like a a lot of people are looking up to you in that community leader aspect. Um what's that been like and and do you have any sort of advice for people who want to get involved but don't know how? Um, I'll answer the last part first. Um, so okay. when I've wanted to get involved, um, and I think this is just my analytical, I think I'm very left brain, left brain side, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so I'm very analytical and logical. I think I'm part Vulcan. So um, <laughs> I, I said there's there's got to be, yes, I'm totally a geek, totally. Um, there's got to be a way that I could do something to do what I need to do um, so that I can feel like I'm being some some kind of effective person in my community. So what I did, um, I told my family, I'm going to go back to school. The logic behind that, and this is mostly for your black and brown audience, um, I have a baby face. Maybe not so much now, but before I did. Um, and no one believes me when I tell them that I have 20-year-olds, 20-something-year-olds, and a grandchild and four kids, you know, um, three of which are in college. And then the youngest, of course, is about to enter high school. Um, and they go, you can't. That's impossible. You know, and and oftentimes my face dictates how someone else reacts to me. So when I want to go and do a thing, they look at me as this young and experienced black little girl. And that was a big blocking um, stone for me. So I, I tried to think, how can I get past that? So I said, all right, the education that I have is antiquated, is from 1900-something. And I need to actually, you know, update that. I need to re-educate myself. So I told my family, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to get a couple of degrees. I'm going to try to do like 10 years worth of degrees in as short time as possible. So I did. I got, um, and this may not be possible for everyone. I prayed heavily on this, and I'll tell you that much spiritually. Um, I'm, I'm very spiritual. So prayer and my dependency on guidance from my God got me through this, um, especially when I was like, I'm broke as a joke. How am I going to do this? <laughs> and he was like, Chillax, Teresa, I got you. So, and he did. So, <laughs> so I got um, five degrees in four and a half years because what? I needed to prove to people that I wasn't this this little girl that that didn't know and couldn't do, which is sad because I should be able to walk into a room and say I want to help and not have to pull out some freaking credentials or have letters behind my name to do it. But I knew that in that oh, world, man. which is now dying, but in that world, I had to prove who I was by upping my education, by um, renewing my antiquated education, and then saying, and then doing it in the most extraordinary way, they had, they had no damn choice but to pay attention. And then on top oh, wow. of that, while ha handling a 19 credit course, doing dual degrees and a minor, I had my four kids with me. I did three work studies 
and I volunteered in the Native American and the Black community. So I had to do and go above and beyond. I had no choice but to because I had shit to get done and I had to do it ASAP and I, I didn't have time to waste. So I went and I, I pretty much forced myself in. When they told me at that school that they couldn't give me the degree that, that, that I wanted, I found where they had lunch and I pressed my face against the glass <laughs> and, I, and they were like, why is she there? And I was like, because you just closed my degree program and I'm not going anywhere until you figure something out for me. And I was, I, you can ask them, Russell Sage College. I stayed there until they figured stuff out because I was not going to be left with my head, you know, running around like a chicken with my head caught up trying to figure out what to do. I said, I don't have time to waste. I have things to do. Even if I'm just trying to get something delivered from UPS, don't tell me no. Let me speak to your supervisor. I guess I'm a black Karen. I don't know. Either way, I have I have things to do. I have a world that I would like to see changed for my children, and I refuse obstacles. I refuse my face and my paint job to be an obstacle. So I had no choice yeah. but to make changes in my own self and in my own life and do it in a very short time frame to get it done, to please the white man, unfortunately. Thank God that world is dying. Now, yes. to go back to the first part of your question. What is it like to be a leader? That's another question I have absolutely no idea. If people are looking <laughs> up to me, I guess they see something in me that they want to emulate or they want to be a part of, and I, I appreciate it and I love it. And I, I encourage everyone to get on board and let's get going. Don't get left behind because we are making history and we are changing shit. And you will get left behind if you are not on board. And I love the fact that people are waking up. All my white allies, some of my Karens too, they waking up and they're seeing <laughs> the world for what it was. And we can no longer be that way. So I've always, um, I, uh, I've learned to find my voice but I've always been active, even when I didn't have a strong voice. So if people see me as a leader, thank you. But I don't want to walk in front of you. I want to walk beside you. I want to walk arm in arm and I want to walk together so we can do this together. So that's my answer to that. Incredible. Yeah, that's awesome. It, it, Teresa, actually, um, when you spoke at Glens Falls, you did something that I haven't seen other speakers do. And it was really exemplary. You took the black citizens of Glens Falls who were present and you had them stand up and face the crowd. And I, I'm born and raised in Glens Falls. I can tell you there's not a lot of black people in Glens Falls, but there are friends and there are neighbors, you know, um, and just, have that moment where instead of dividing the crowd, what you did was you highlighted the people that we had just marched for. It was really meaningful and powerful because you weren't saying these are two different groups of people. You were saying this is the group of people that you just did this for. You should all be proud of yourselves. And 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 the, the thought that was kind of like a uh, you know, spur of the moment thing. It wasn't planned. Um, because as we were 
marching. There were some young people who were taking advantage of the opportunity to take photos to get into the news. And um, mm -hmm. I watched this happen with one young lady who kind of ran in front of this this black family. And um, she was holding up her sign, thank you for being an ally, but then she ran to go in front of a photographer. But when the photographer put his camera down, because it's just as she got to the front, he put his camera down and started to walk over. She literally went like this and watched him walk over. And so I tapped her and I said, you need to get behind this family. And, and she was like, well, I said, you need to move to the back. And then I pulled the family over and I said, this is, these are who we're here for. Right. And I had to do that at yeah. least five times as we were walking. And because the young girl, Morgan, um, who was also one of the organizers in Glens Falls, she said, please yeah. allow the black and brown community to be forward and you be the allies as support behind them. Yes. Right. That wasn't happening all the time. Um, and, and I guess that's that Vulcan in me, too. Things needed to be in order and had to happen the way it was supposed to happen. And it wasn't happening. So I was getting kind of, mm -hmm. you know, Vulcanish, I guess. <laughs> I was like, this needs to happen. <laughs> So I, I said to one of the organizers, I said, listen, I just want to let you know I'm about to do a thing. I said, some people may have their feelings hurt. I will address that briefly. I said, but we need to really let people know what we're here for. Why are we marching, right? White people, mm -hmm. you are not marching to prove that you're not racist. That's not what we're here for. You're marching to prove that you are human and you see that your other fellow human beings who just happen to have darker, beautiful skin are being murdered, are being treated like shit, and you are not having it anymore. But you need to see those faces. And I said, I don't, I said, a lot of these people are here for the moment. Maybe they're not really sure why they're here. And some are here just to prove something to themselves. And I was like, but I need to make it clear why we are all here. Because Glens Falls is not in my district at all. The youth no. reached out to me and asked me if I could be there. And I said, definitely, I will be there for you guys. I'll be there to support. And they asked me to speak. So I wrote that speech, the, at least the, the first part of the speech, um, just before I got to Glens Falls. And then, and that oh, wow. was before I went into my spiel of why we're here. So it was kind of like a preamble to set people up for what I was about to say. And then when I called all the black and brown folk up, I was very specific in how I did it because they needed to see how the community was set up. So I asked the black men to fa face the stage. If you haven't seen the, the video, this is this is what it was like. I saw all my black and brown people to come up front in front of the stage and I asked the black men to face the stage, face me, a black women behind the black men and then the children behind the, the, the women. And in the black community, it, it's you hear me say, don't get indignant because black women find it offensive to be behind, not all black women, but a lot of black women find it offensive to be put behind a man. They find it much more equal to be standing beside their king. Mm -hmm. So I said, don't get indignant. Let me do a thing. You'll see. So they did it. And I was so happy because I was like, these people don't know me from nothing. They're probably not going <laughs> to listen and I'm going to cause a riot. So everyone got there and then I told them to turn around. 
So then you see the structure of our community. The men are our foundation. They are what keeps us strong. They are what supports us. And we're losing them, losing us, losing them to gun violence, to drugs, to addiction, to um, just, you know, having multiple baby mamas, mm-hmm. you know, just things like that. <laughs> Just just yeah. that that gangster lifestyle, we're losing them, but we, we're reclaiming them. We're bringing them back because we recognize that without our black and brown men, we do not have a community at all. And then in front of those men are the women and the men have to support the women. And the women will support the men as well, but they shore up the women because in the women lives our community, lives our children, lives our future. And we have no choice but to support that, right? And then what do the women do? They nurture and support the children along with the men. So that's why I had it structured that way. Because the community, the white community in Glens Falls needed to see that their community, how it's structured, is the same way the black and brown community is structured. And they needed to see that visual. This is what you're here for. You're here to support our black and brown lives and bodies, your neighbors, your friends, your uncles, your aunts, all of them. This is who they are. That's what you're here for, just in case that got lost in that long march, because it was a long march <laughs> to that part. That so that's that's why I did it that way. Incredible. Truly, truly incredible. Um, Seriously. You know, that, that also that brings something up um, that Kevin brought up to me recently um he said in in a similar way you handled um i wouldn't call him a heckler but but somebody who was causing a disruption at one of your speeches in a really unique way kevin you want to you want to talk about it no it was when you first got to glens falls the first thing you had to do there was like this younger gentleman and the only thing i could say is that he was off of his rocker (laughs) and he was saying things that no one wanted to be said and i'm up on the pavilion helping out with like some of the younger organizers and i know christine was down there and she turned to you and was like what do i do about this and she said you helped her handle that really well (laughs) yeah so so I just asked her to to question herself, right? Because that was their their organizing. I didn't want to get into it, but I, I like I said, I have this tendency to insert myself, and I'm always there to help. Um, it may come off Your as pedantic, and I don't mean it to be, but like I said, if I see someone needs help and I can help, I do. Um, and I don't know if you noticed in Troy, they were calling for a medic, and Monty had to pull me back because someone was not <laughs> no. feeling well. And I went to like go help and mommy was like, no mommy, we're going to March. And I was like, but they just, and she's like, no mommy, not today. So, and those oh are other gosh. stories I'll tell you about because it happens all the time. But anyway, so uh, yeah, so this young man decided he wanted to call the crowd together and I thought we were all starting. So I was like, oh, okay, great, we're gonna start. But then Christine was like, what is he doing? I don't know what he's saying, why is he saying that? He was trying to incite a division between the police and the crowd saying that the oh. police yeah he was saying the police are making us march in a specific way there's nobody there nobody's going to see us why are we taking that route so she i said to her she said what should i do and i said do you agree with anything that he's saying and she says no that's not what we're he's not even a part of this like he's not a part of our you know group 
I'll organize it. And I said, okay, well, just tell him um, that he'll have an opportunity to speak at the end. But right now you're not, you're not there yet. So if he could wait. So she went and said what she had to say. She said, can you just stop? He said, all right, I'm all right. All right. Thank you. I'm just going to say this last thing. So then he started to talk again and she went, she says, no, can you just wait? And he was like, no, 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 no. Let me just say this last thing. So I was like, all right. So obviously being nice, is not working. So I went and I said, listen, no. she told you that you needed to wait. And she gave you the opportunity to have your saying your piece at the end. You are not representing them. You are not representing the organizers. And he said something along the lines like, well, you guys need to be better organizers. I said, listen, this march is not about you. I said, this march is not about a young white man. This is about black and brown lives. And what Amen. you're doing is not about that. And he was like, you guys are the problem. And I was like, oh. why are you even here if you feel like people who look like me are the problem? Wow. Amen. Jesus. So he's like, I'm just going to go over there. I was like, good. That's exactly what we wanted. Deuces. Well, I, I mean, for so many reasons, I'm. I'm super thankful you were there because it turned out to be a really great march and the presentations afterwards were great. And obviously yours left a large impression upon everyone there, myself included. Um, Matt, did you have anything else that you wanted to ask? I mean, I'm going to continue asking Teresa questions in person <laughs> after this podcast the next time I see her. But yeah, I mean, um, let me ask this. So, so, um, let's, let's just wrap up with, uh, I want to cover, um, the district you're running for again, what's next, um, how people can get involved and then, um, places people can find you. So, so you were, you're running for the 49th district. Uh, what does that include in terms of like counties or cities? I should say. So that's, uh, Schenectady County, parts of Saratoga County, um, Schenectady, Saratoga, Hamilton County, Herkimer County, and Fulton. But parts of Herkimer, so it's more of the western part of Herkimer mm -hmm. County. So really out there in the boondocks, like out in Poland and Russia, literally <laughs> New York. <laughs> yes, literally. Yeah, yeah. why is it that New York, that. why is it that New York State has cities named after like random countries? And I used to drive Mexico. through, yeah, I used to drive through Mexico, New York all the, all the time. And very confused <laughs> about that. Well, New York is named after York in England. Right. So maybe. And so is Jersey. Jersey is named after Jersey. Which is also in England. Is that right? Yes, it is. Yeah. It's an island. Yes, it is. Who, who is the uh, incumbent that you're running against? I'm running against Republican Jim Tedisco. Jim Tedisco. Okay. Yes. And um, you can, everyone can find out more about me at Teresa for Senate dot com and i'll spell it t-h-e-a-r-s-e -E for senate the word for senate.com um and my contact info is there too i'm tr I, i'm trying to be as accessible as possible and i mean obviously i mean you can just text me and i'm like hey what's up um when i can <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yes. but uh, anybody can text me they can call me um i try to check my text text messages as much as possible um, and get back to you and like as quickly as possible. But you know, everybody texts me and calls me. So oh, I'm sure. I will get back to you within about 24 hours. Um, if it's longer than that, it's probably a busy week. Like now the primary is the 23rd 
Mm. Absentee ballots are out. So um, I do have a Democratic primary, but he was just pretty much, unfortunately, he's being used for his blackness um, and his ignorance of how things go up here. And the establishment, the Democratic (sighs) establishment here in Schenectady is using him to try to throw off my campaign because they're still smarting, those are their words, smarting at the fact that I ran a primary against their mayor last year and almost won. And he's an eight-year incumbent, and I only lost by about 100 votes. I refuse to lose by about 100 votes this time. So I will win this primary because I will have all of you guys' support. We have to change the world. We have to change this establishment establishment Mm -hmm. who, who told a young black woman that she needed to ask permission of an old white man to run. That's not happening anymore. That world is dead. So please Mm -hmm. vote June 23rd for Teresa McCalman. I'm the first person on the ballot. Let's take back our district. Let's take back our city, our lives and our time stolen ASAP vote. And hopefully in 2020, we can take back our country. Let's do let's do that too. <laughs> November, we're gonna vote out that Republican, and we're gonna vote me in as senator. But I gotta get past the primary on the twenty third. I'm definitely gonna be telling people because, and you don't have to give a long answer on this if you don't want Teresa. But Tedesco voted against the repeal of fifty A. So I really thought he was gonna vote yes to repeal 50A. And I was like, man, I'm not gonna be able to say what a jerk he is for doing that because he voted yes, repeal it. And that's what I would have done. But he voted no. Wow. If anything, that is anti-police. That's anti-police. Because what you're saying is that you prefer a corrupt, abusive um, police department or police body that is against being a, a, a actual connection to the community mm-hmm. and something that would be uplifting and actually caring for community. You you prefer the division. You prefer the contention. That is anti-police. That's anti-human. That is ridiculous. Yeah. Why wouldn't you yep. want a police force that is held accountable to their police officers? Why wouldn't you want the community to hold their police officers accountable for their actions? Why would you be against that? Yeah, to me, it doesn't make any sense. Um, I the more that I uh, the the more research I do into the the, the world of politics and and our leadership, um, it's becoming more and more clear to me that people in the establishment who have power, they have money, they have you know, sourced from the word establishment, they have established relationships with people with money. And um, when the decision, when decision time comes and it is, you know, their interests versus the interests of the people, um, too many politicians and leaders choose themselves over their community. And I think that that is the most important thing that we need to focus on going forward is pulling those people out, creating ways for the community to have a voice in who their leaders are and what their leaders stand for and not being able to use money to shield themselves from that. That's right. That's right. That's why I don't, I don't accept corporate um, PAC money um, or lobbyist money. My, my campaign is 100% grassroots. 
from the people, by the people, for the people. And I do not make up issues to tell you what it's about and what you should find important in your community. I actually knocked on these doors for the last three, four years now and asked, what are your issues? What do you what do you find of importance? Like right now, everyone's like, oh, Black Lives Matter, police reform, um, defunding the police, which does not mean take don't fund the police. It means take the funding that goes into militarization of the police and actually put it into supporting the community through education, through social work, things like that. That's what it means. Demilitarize and then lift up the community with that money. That's what defunding the police means. Um, so this is this is what I ask. What are your, your issues that people are not talking about? So that conversation got me into a, um, a very informative conference call with farmers all the way up in the boondocks, even out to Pennsylvania. Oh, so much I learned about dairy formulas that I never knew before. So there are very specific issues to the people in the community that are not popular issues. And those are the ones that I'm putting forward, the popular issues, as well as what is truly important to the people. And I can't do that with corporate in my pocket. I would never be able to do that with corporate in my pocket because it would always be corporate interest. And and that's never going to mm-hmm. happen. Never going to happen. I will be a broke candidate walking into that becoming a Senate because I refuse to take corporate money. I only will take the one cents, 10 cents, two cents from the people who want to see me. And your two cents is worth two million to me. I will do what you need me to do and I will be that voice. And I'm not going to be selfish. It's going to be about us, all of us moving forward together. Can't do that with corporate. I don't know anyone else who could do that without taking corporate money apart from you at this point. I mean, you're probably my favorite local politician. I'm I'm not going to be shy about that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, well, we got to wrap this up. We do have to wrap. I'm sure you're busy. We're we're not quite as busy as you. It's it's actually it's Sunday, so uh, I get to relax for almost the rest of the day. We got one more conversation to have with a friend of ours, and then we're gonna relax. But you will not rest. Do you get enough sleep? Do Do you get eight hours of sleep ever? I get about maybe two three hours, maybe two two three hours. Wow. Yeah, maybe maybe two or three hours. It depends. Sometimes I get four. You know, and that's good. I'll sleep when I'm dead. I'll sleep when the world is better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we appreciate you for that. Um, Final question. What's your jam? What kind of music are you into lately? Or is it a podcasting? Be anything you're listening to. So that's a huge question because I listen to all music. Um, I'll tell you a couple of my favorite artists, Peter Deluxe. Um, I mean, uh, excuse me, Peter Fox, Sammy Deluxe. Um, they're German artists. Um, love them. Love them. They're from the 90s. Love their music. Um, also, uh, Bianca. Bianca is a Russian artist. Um, and yes, these are languages I do understand. Um, and also oh, cool. Kisamba. I do Latin dances. So when I'm not busy, which is always, I, I used to always go dancing and I would do Latin dances and I would assist in teaching Latin dances. So salsa, merengue, pachata, kisamba. Um, I'm still learning kisamba though. I don't teach that. Uh, so I love all types of music. My husband, of course, is Mark Anthony. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I was like, wait, really? Mark Anthony. <laughs> 
my actual husband acknowledges that he is indeed my husband. So you you know, Teresa, if, if Mark Anthony happens to listen to our podcast, <laughs> oh my which, god, then now he knows. Now he knows. Listen, I am blushing. You can't tell. <laughs> but we won't. <laughs> I haven't spoken to Mark Anthony since I was in college in the early 90s. A girl, a girlfriend of mine used to know him. I guess this is before he was like really famous, what? but I knew who he was. Um, and she used to call him because I was part of a Latin American student organization. And we used to teach and dance salsa merengue and do performances in college. And all of our songs were his songs. So he would call us or we would call him and he would just encourage us and give us, you know, you know, Little, you know, sing to us on the phone. Oh, yes. Okay, well, Teresa McCallman, it was a beautiful hour of conversation. We're so, so blessed uh, to have talked to you. God bless you and all the work you do. Um, Thank you. We're, we're going to keep in touch, and we'll make sure that everybody has all the information they need um, in our show notes, and we'll be, um, we will be posting this as soon as possible. We're going to be... Uh, um, we're pushing this one forward. We're pushing this one right to the top of the list because people need to hear this now. Um, thank you so much for coming. And if there's anything we can do for you at all, please let us know. Yep. Just shout out, shout out, shout out. Send people to volunteer. So that's what we need right now. We need to make calls and make sure everyone knows that I'm running and they have an option, a real option. Okay. Definitely. It sounds like they have a great You'll option. You'll be seeing me soon. Yeah. I'll see you soon. All righty. Thanks a lot. All right, guys. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Have a great day. Thank you. For more information about us, go to upstatecoffeecollective.com. Scroll down to the bottom. There's a little window where you can throw your email in and get our newsletter. A couple times a month, we let you know about some cool stuff going on in the coffee world, when we have coffee drops coming, and what's next for us and what's next for you. Thanks for listening and be sure to rate, subscribe, and we will see you next time.